0: Hello, and welcome to DSR Daily. It's a Monday. It's the beginning of a week. Uh, We are in mid-February, and we are covering a wide group of stories around the world. I'm David Rothkopf, one of your co-hosts, joined by your other co-hosts, Chris Cottonware. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing fine, thanks. Excellent. And Riley Fessler, how are you, Riley? Doing well. What are you going to kick us off with today, Chris?
1: U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin. Austin has transferred his responsibilities to his deputy due to hospitalization uh, related to bladder issues. Um, As you know, he's battling prostate cancer and took some heat from his previous handling uh, in terms of the transparency and not telling the American public what was going on with his health. Um, Obviously, in this particular case, well, of course, I side on the privacy rights um of every citizen uh when it comes to elected officials especially ones who are responsible for uh, the national security of our country it needs to be uh or the, the the white house needs to be uh more transparent so glad to see that happen obviously hoping uh his prognosis is good by the way um His cancer prognosis is good, but hoping to see this type of transparency and obviously wishing him a full recovery in the process
0: great how's your never mind I don't want to know how your prostate is uh, uh riley but what 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 do, what do
2: you have So Israel has uh, struck Rafa with several airstrikes uh, ahead of what is expected to be a ground invasion of the area, um, which would be a pretty catastrophic civilian cost, given that over half of Gaza's population is currently jammed inside of Rafa, which is 25 square miles. Um, the strikes so far killed between 52 to over 100, depending on kind of what source you're looking at. Um, it struck residential areas, including 15 houses and three mosques. Um, which is part of the campaign that Israel says is hitting terror targets. Uh, And they did also rescue two captives that were being held by Hamas. So this is kind of a prelude to this invasion that many are expecting, and many, including Israel's allies, have warned against. Uh, The Biden administration has said that they need some kind of clear plan to reduce civilian casualties if they go through with this operation, but Netanyahu seems to be just going full steam ahead. So we'll see yeah
0: um uh, you know we've started to see reports in social media and elsewhere um, of the effects of of these first attacks on Rafa. There's a large number of people concentrated there. The Israelis said uh, that they should evacuate, but of course there was no place for them to evacuate um, and uh, uh, one can expect uh, high civilian death tolls um, uh, and um, uh, while the Israelis may argue that this is justified by things like uh, getting a couple of hostages released, and of course we should celebrate that, um, uh, I, I suspect the arithmetic here is not going to add up in a way that uh, um, makes any sort of sense whatsoever from a humanitarian perspective or or just in the, from the perspective of basic uh, uh, decency, or to be perfectly honest, from the perspective of you know, advancing critical military objectives, or we're trying to bring the entire region, uh, closer to peace. Uh, this is going to be a story that we're going to obviously have to be on all week because it's, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty dark and, um, it could lead to, uh, if not the final rupture between the Biden administration and the Netanyahu administration, um, Uh, A deepening of already significant tensions. Chris?
1: Uh, This is your daily reminder that uh, Donald Trump will make a terrible president over the weekend. He made remarks that uh, he would not support other NATO countries uh, should Russia decide um, to attack them. Uh, An outstanding position in my opinion by the former president here not. Oh. I don't even know where to begin. Um his fellow Republicans, including staunch supporters, uh quickly uh tried to walk those comments back, but like, does it really matter? Um Well, they didn't
0: not- they didn't criticize him. They didn't they, they they said things like, Well, he's not really a politician or uh, you know, that that wouldn't really be a great thing. But nobody said this is an insane thing for a former president to say.
1: No, no, but he did get some, you know, Nikki Haley (laughs) and Lindsey Graham, you know, essentially criticized the president's remarks. In any case, you know, as if you listeners of of our shows need the reminding, uh, this guy is a danger to our democracy. Yeah, and everybody
0: else's democracy, because, you know, he said he didn't care what the hell uh, Russia would do to the, you know, European allies who he, you know, equated, you know, he, his misunderstanding of NATO dates back, um, decades. Um, and, uh, he has long said that, you know, these countries are not paying their dues, you know, except nobody pays dues in NATO. NATO members are, um, required to, um, uh, or committed to, um, dedicating um, approximately two percent of their GDP to common defense um, and uh, you know when he you know says well if they're if they're not making their contribution that's just not the way this works um, and ignores the fact that NATO is of enormous value to the United States uh, and also that it doesn't work like a mafia protection racket you know, which is essentially what he said, which is either pay up or, you know, we'll let bad things all happen to you. And uh, it, w- it was a crazy statement. It would have disqualified any other candidate at any other time in our history. Um, and as I ask in a column that will come out later today in the Daily Beast, we have to ask why it doesn't disqualify him. Because that's the big, it's not, we shouldn't be surprised that Trump says insane things. The question we have to ask is, why does Trump continue to be essentially the leader of, of half of America politically?
2: Riley? Well, I feel like I've become the agricultural correspondent for the DSR Daily because I have another farmer story today. Well, you're
0: from Ohio, Right.
2: Uh, yeah, exactly. Isn't that, that, <laughs> did you, like, grow up on a farm? I didn't. I grew up near a farm, though, so I guess oh, that's, well, that's almost yeah, as good. I
0: mean, to me, anybody who's got three or more pets runs a farm,
2: so. <laughs> well, I, I guess by that definition, yeah. I do run a farm. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, <laughs> Indian farmers this time are protesting a lack of support from the Modi government. Uh, in New Delhi, police are implementing roadblocks to prevent farmers from marching into the capital. And they're following up on uh, better crop prices that were promised in 2021 following a year-long protest uh, where the Modi government struck a deal uh, saying they would establish a panel to ensure support prices for all farm produce. Uh, But since then, only rice and wheat uh, have been purchased at support levels, um, which only affects a small fraction of farmers. So the protests are designed to uh, get Modi to kind of make good on the promises uh, from 2021 uh, that they say he's kind of slow walked. So I just think it's interesting that there's so many protests by farmers globally. Um, I'm kind of curious, you know, what factors are causing all these to happen now. I know a lot of it's environmental regulation in the case of the EU, but I think this is an interesting story.
0: Well, it, look, the farmers protests all the time. That's, that's just a thing that happens uh, in the world. Uh, it tends to happen more, Uh, In deflationary periods and inflationary periods, although it can also happen in them, you know, almost anything that anybody does from a policy perspective except provide further subsidies irritates farmers. If you have free trade, then that's, you know, unfair competition to the other guy. If you uh, provide subsidies, if some other country provides subsidies, that's unfair competition for the other guy. Uh, if we provide subsidies, then it's not enough subsidies, which is part of what the Europeans were saying, um, and so on. Um, and, uh, you know, I think part of the reason for this is that it works. Governments change their policy when people take to the streets, uh, as we've seen in many, many other cases. Uh, Chris?
1: If you're not a sports ball fan, you may uh, take a break from the podcast. I'll give you two seconds.
0: This will happen really quickly.
1: Go on. Last evening... The Kansas City Chiefs won their third Super Bowl in five years, uh, beating the San Francisco 49ers in overtime. Um, The game was pretty, in my opinion, uh, uneventful in the first half. Um, The second half was was very entertaining, fantastic. Uh, We saw... Three or, or three field goals that were over 50 yards, including two that set Super Bowl records. It was the seventh longest game in the history of the NFL um, and, of course, included a, uh, an overtime touchdown pass from the new king of quarterbacks, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, the halftime show was performed by Usher, which I thought was quite cool, especially when they started roller skating around the stage. It was pretty, uh, it was pretty good, and um, and I thought the network covered the Taylor Swift or the Travis Kelsey box quite tastefully. Um, it doesn't really bother me either way. Uh, in fact, you know, I was hoping Kelsey would score. Uh, a touchdown to see what was going on in, in the uh, in the Kelsey box, but and nonetheless, uh, we're done with football season. On to next year.
0: I used to like football. I'm not sure I still do. I thought it was kind of boring in the first part, and the second part went on and on and on, but the main thing, if you're somebody from outside the U.S. or you're not interested in sports ball, is what a insane cultural phenomenon this is it is clearly the biggest holiday of the year for the united states Uh, and to take that insane cultural phenomenon and to put it into las vegas which is literally where the decline of western civilization is beginning uh, and has been going on for some time really gave you a spectacle of excess and um uh, uh sort of cheese you know, in the sense of cheesy values that, uh, you know, if you're in competition with the United, I can't imagine you, you know, you sit there in Beijing and look at that and go, oh yeah, this is not, this is good news. These, this is, these are the ancient Romans throwing each other to the lions um, and uh, they they're getting soft and stupid. Um, um, I think, you know, we would all be better off if there were, the same amount of national effort around, um, I don't know, the final Jeopardy championship of the year. You know, something high intellectual values. I'm sure you agree with me, Riley.
2: Oh, yes. Of course. That would be a sweet Jeopardy finale if it yeah. got the viewers of the Super Bowl.
0: Yeah. The trivia
2: bowl. Yeah,
0: you know, <laughs> I, I think, be, you know, Chris, you, you'd probably do pretty well on that. Not really. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 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 okay well I was, I was trying to get I was trying to have her get involved and and enjoy it uh, okay Riley
1: what's the last story
2: so uh just some updates on Pakistan's election uh, we do have the final results um and it seems like instability is going to be a key feature moving forward um Imran Khan's allies uh, did receive a majority of the seats uh, or at least a, but uh It seems that these second and third place coalitions are going to uh, combine to try and form a ruling uh, government, Uh, but we will see if that actually happens. Uh, It does not seem likely that it will be particularly stable or long-lasting, given that many of Imran Khan's allies have kind of cried foul in this election, uh, despite the fact that they were pretty successful, surprisingly so. Um, They're still claiming interference in several of the kind of key seats that they lost. Um, So again, we talked about last week, but instability is for sure going to be a feature in Pakistani politics moving forward. Um, As a result of this election, uh, we'll see if they can get a ruling coalition, but it doesn't seem particularly likely.
0: Uh, I think that sums that up. Pretty well. Um, You know, you you have a choice between uh, instability in Pakistani politics or, you know, military rule in Pakistani politics. And often you get both. Um, And, uh, you know, that's the case in a lot of other countries. But uh, of course, Pakistan is strategically extremely important, um, both in terms of its conflict with India and in terms of its uh closeness to China and the role that it plays in China's own view of how it will uh, advance its interests both on the subcontinent and in the Middle East of course to which Pakistan is adjacent um uh so uh we will we will follow it uh, extremely closely um uh if you're interested more on Trump's uh comments on uh, Ukraine uh I mean Trump's comments on NATO uh, and you're interested more on in uh, Ukraine, you can tune in a little later today to uh, Above Average Intelligence. Where we're going to have our friend Michael Weiss come on and talk a little bit about these things that he follows very closely. Uh, and later in the week, we've got uh, um, uh, you know a bunch of fascinating um, political stories, some more international stuff, um, and also I would draw your attention to the Daily uh, Blast from uh uh, greg uh, Sargent, which today has an episode dealing with uh elon musk um, who over the weekend once again demonstrated in manifold ways what a nutcase he is uh and what a menace he is and we will talk about all of that in the daily blast so a lot for you here and uh, we we encourage you to listen to those things and we'll join you again tomorrow bye-bye